Welcome to Our Kids, Our Schools, your compass in the world of local education hosted by Alexis Morgan, an experienced guide and advocate. This space offers insights designed to serve parents, teachers, administrators, school board members, and community stakeholders. Every episode is designed to equip you with the knowledge and tools to be an active participant. This podcast isn't just a dialogue. It's a movement, a movement that encourages collaboration to foster a thriving school community because together we can, we will make a difference. Quinn, you're here. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Okay. So you are the, now the Tell me what you do for ISBN. Okay, sure. It's just left me. (laughs) Yeah, my title is Deputy Director in Government Affairs. So the Deputy Director part is I'm kind of the right-hand woman to our Executive Director. Her name is Misty Swanson and do a lot of the operational stuff. But my predominant role is the legislative advocacy at the State House during the session, even in the off session. And then I do a lot of our stakeholder relationships. So relationships with the State Department of Ed, State Board of Ed, the Governor's Office, Um, other stakeholders like the school administrators, the Idaho Education Association. So it's a whole mixture of things. It's you do a lot of things. I do. And I have I've gotten to see you to do a lot of those things because I used to be a school board member and I and I served on the executive board for ISBA and I got to watch you in action. And so many people in the ISBA got to watch in action and I really loved what you guys do and what you're doing and how you help the school board members around the state. So tell uh, tell me what like what does the ISBA stand for? What do you guys do? So the ISBA is um, an organization that has been around since 1942. So we just celebrated our 80th year um, about two years ago. Um, And really, ISBA was formed by a group of trustees more commonly known as school board members, um, who really formed for the purpose of advocacy to make sure that the locally elected school board members that are governing our public schools had a voice at the state legislature. Since then, it has evolved. We have lots of different services that we provide to school board members, our most important being our board development services. So we provide um, trainings to school board members of all different types Uh, We also provide policy services. We provide superintendent searches. We're also just kind of a mothership organization of databases, so like salary schedules and things that you might need as a tool when you're serving on your school board. Mm -hmm. That is, wow, 80 years. That's awesome. 80 years. Yeah. 82 now. 82. Because it was in 1942. So, yeah. Wow, that's so awesome. I love that. And so you talk about like the different things that you do for the board, um, for school boards. Do you represent all school boards around the state? What does that look like in terms of your like association? Yeah, that's a good question. So, uh, we do represent almost every school district. So not, it's optional to be a member of ISBA. So the school board has to join the organization. Um, we represent almost, I think 113 school districts out of 115 are members of ISBA. And we're also the only school boards association in the country that allows charter schools to be full members of the association. So I think we have about 67 charter school members out of you know, 75 or 80 that are open. Um, so yeah, we represent a majority of the locally elected school board members across the state. So, and, and so you, so that's interesting that Idaho is the only state that for their school boards association that allows charters to come in. Why is that? And that, I mean, that feels like a big deal. And why are charters not represented in other states in that way? I think, 
the way that states view charter schools are different everywhere. In Idaho, they are public schools. They're funded publicly. They follow almost identical laws that traditional school districts have to follow. And it was a contentious, I think, conversation back in the day when uh, charter schools were accepted into the membership. I think there was some contention there. I think there was a lot of perhaps threats or people felt threatened by charter schools opening in the state. We have scarce resources, so it makes total sense at the time why there may have been some apprehension. But you know, I think overall the membership and the executive board of ISBA really, really sat back and thought if the services we're providing to school board members is supposed to be in the best interest of kids, then those services should be extended to all public schools who are serving kids. So, um, so yeah, it it's it's evolved over time. Um, there is different levels of membership that charter schools get, but we provide policy services to charter schools. We have charter school representation on our executive board. And really, the services we provide are nearly identical to our charter schools. So. Oh, okay. I love that. Yeah. I, I mean, at the end of the day, these are Idaho kids. They're Idaho kids. Who are in public schools. And their school board members need the support they can to make sure that they're delivering the best possible experience to those kids. So, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. So when we're talking about the Idaho ISBA, I mean, all associations look a little bit different. And yeah. I just want to make sure that we like that we're laying this picture very clearly. So we have school districts and school districts are governed by school boards, yep. usually five, but sometimes there's seven. Mm-hmm. And it, are those the two around the state? It's either five or seven. There are um, elementary districts also only have three. Okay. So there's a couple elementary districts that only have three school board members, but usually it's between five and seven. Five is the most common. Okay. Yeah. And so then how does that then connect? How does the school board member connect with ISBA? What does that look like structurally? So the school board member, obviously the school board has to join and be dues paying members of ISBA. So it is, um, School districts pay dues to us. But the best part about the ISBA and how the representation pulls out is that we're a 22-member executive board, of which you used to serve on, and each educational region has a small district and a large district representation that's elected by the school board members in that region. And the whole point of that is to make sure that we're equally getting the needs met by the large, the small districts all over the state. Your needs are different. The communities are different. They're often very similar. So we really work hard to make sure that we have equal balance representation of our member districts across the state. So, yeah. So, yeah. so then you've got, I just, I always think structural things and I'm mm-hmm. very visual. So mm-hmm. you've got these region directors and like chairs, you call them chairs and yep. vice chairs. Yep. And then you also have, I can't remember exactly what the, it's like the executive. The officers. The officers. Yeah, the officer core, I think is what we call it. But yes, so the membership at whole elect a vice president and a president. um, And the vice president also has to be elected into the office of the president-elect. They immediately ascend to the office of the president. So the membership at a whole is really selecting and electing the membership. And just recently, and maybe not even since you were there, um, the ISBA membership passed a resolution that amended our bylaws to require that that they alternate between the office of the vice president, that there is large and extra large representation and small and, and medium-sized districts also get representation to ensure that our big districts, which they're rare, actually, right? A majority of our school districts in Idaho are smaller. 
Um, so it's to make sure that the West Adas, the Boises, the Lewistons, the Pocatellos have equal representation on the executive board. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I think that's really smart. It is a really smart move. Yeah. It's really to make sure that we're carrying all voices. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I recently read something about how Idaho has 60% of rural, you know, 60% of schools are rural. By definition. By definition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I just think when you talk about even in those chair positions where for the regions, mm-hmm. you've got you're making sure that there is a small and large district represented for those regions. Mm -hmm. I just think that's so crucial. It is. Because they deal with different things. They do. Often they're very similar, but the needs of a small rural district look so different than like a West Ada school district, right? So that is why I think it's such a beautiful makeup of a nonprofit board to make sure that we have equal representation and that we're really truly meeting the needs of the membership and that the decisions that the association is making is member driven. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really cool part of what we do and how the structure works at ISBA. Okay. That's, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Too. So cool. now, I mean, you guys, one of the things that you are, I mean, we kind of had a conversation about this idea of what is a school board member? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people, I mean, it's something that I've experienced too. A lot of people don't know actually like what a school board member does, right? What are yeah. their main functions? What mm-hmm. are their main roles? And so I wanted to talk about that with you today because yeah. I, I mean, I did a podcast in, I did an episode right before the election of 23 in November. Mm-hmm. And I found the feedback that I got was like, wow, I had no idea that my vote, how my vote would carry so much and have such an impact in my school district. Mm -hmm. And then also the who to look for Mm -hmm. in a school board member, like, you know, yeah, Yeah. qualities to look for. So uh, let's talk about like, what's the main function of a school board member? So the main function of a school board member is to govern the school district. And I say govern so specifically because it is not to manage the school district. Because the number one of the number one responsibilities of a school board member is to hire and evaluate the superintendent, which is the chief executive officer of the board, the educational leader, really the CEO. And it's it's a really big and important responsibility that lay elected citizen school board members have a huge responsibility in doing. Another big role is that they're the ones adopting the budget, setting the budget, advocating for resources. So if there's additional resources that need to be met by going out to your community and asking for, say, a supplemental tax levy or a plant facility levy or a school bond to fill your your facility needs, that is the absolute imperative role of a school board member to be that kind of conduit between the community and the school district. And then another big function is policy. You're the one setting the kind of laws and regulations that govern the school district. And that is a sole responsibility of the lay elected board. So there sometimes it sounds like when I hear people say like when I've read about it and even experienced it, sometimes it feels like that shouldn't be that hard. Okay, right? Like, oh, you all you have to do is govern. You don't manage, right? right. Or those kinds of things. But it's actually, (laughs) I remember when I got on the board in Lewiston and the superintendent said to me, Alexis, it's going to be like drinking like from a fire hose for two years. Yep. There's just so much content that you're going to need to take in in this process. So what to you, if you would like, if you would just um, differentiate, what's the difference between governing 
and managing. And can you give some examples of that? Oh, man. Okay. I mean, I get, yeah. I get that you're like, uh, I mean, not specific, specific, right? Because we're not here to call yeah. out people. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Just that what is that difference between governing and managing? I think the best example is like sort of the light example, the light bulb example, which is like it's not the role. The, the role of the school board is to say, let there be light. And it's the role of the superintendent to determine if it should be like an LED light or what color of lighting or whatever that might be, right? So it really is to set the direction in the agenda of the district, and then it's up to the superintendent, then the principals, and then the educators in the district to really implement the goals, the vision of the school board. So you're setting the mission and vision, The you're ensuring that there are resources there to meet that mission and vision, but you're not there helping the actual process of getting that thing done. You then turn it over to your certificated and experienced administrator and your experienced teaching staff to make sure that it's meeting the needs that the vision that the board has set. So it really is like you're the visionary of the school district. And then you ask and you rely on the superintendent and then you evaluate that superintendent on how are they meeting the expectations that the board has set. That's a really good visual. Thank you. I really like that. Yeah. I actually haven't heard that one before. Good. Yeah. (laughs) That's how I vision it. You know, it's like, and I think about it even on my own board, right? Like the ISB executive board, they're setting the mission and vision of the organization and then they turn it over to us to implement what that vision and mission looks like, right? So I think it is really important for people to differentiate between what your school board can and can't do in those types of ways, right? I think It's different than a legislature. It's different than any other type of elected position because you go and you're there to serve what's best for the district and what's best for the students. You're not necessarily there being a delegate voting certain ways on things because your constituents have asked you to. You're representing your constituents, right? Your constituents are who sent you there. But really, you're there to act on behalf of all of the kids in the district. So... Okay. So then what does an effective, like what are signs of effective school board members? If these are the things they do, what does that look like in terms of like what they're doing? My number one test for effective school board members or school board members that are doing kind of what their role is, is like how often are they talking about the students? Are the students at the forefront of the discussion at all times? Are the questions that you're asking in board meetings, are they rooted in how does this impact our students positively or negatively? How, what can we do as a board to support our chief executive officer in, in adhering to these goals? But I think the number one thing is, are you connected and are you invested in the success of the kids in the district that you govern? I think that is like by and far the number one. And then the other one is, you're paying attention, you are engaged, but you're not dipping your fingers in kind of too much, right? You're not stepping into that managerial role because that's what you hired your superintendent to be, to do, right? So I think another one is like knowing when, I hate the term like stay in your lane, but it is such a fitting narrative for what I'm trying to say here, which is that you're staying in the governance level, you're staying at the visionary level, You're providing support and direction when needed and when asked, but you're always ensuring that the students are at the forefront and that you're staying at that visionary level. So So how do school board members do that? How do they stay at the visionary level? Because there are things that maybe they're drawn to. Or, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is why some people who go on the board, who want to run on a board, 
have they have like this one agenda thing that they just <laughs> want to change right yeah. that like chip on their shoulder sure so how do they stay in that effective in that effective lane there's no secret sauce to staying in it and I will tell you like it's difficult I think when we find all the time that the best type of people you want to run for the school board are the people who have issues they obviously care right about the school district or about their kid but then you quickly realize when you get there like oh I can't just like come in and like overhaul everything right there's been a plan there are people impacted by the things that I do here so you know I think the best thing you could do as a school board member to like make sure you're staying in your lane is always asking yourself like is this the right role is this what I'm supposed to be doing always asking for clarity from your fellow board members right like is this an appropriate thing that I'm doing or am I waiting way outside of what a governance role is and also I think it's really important for people to gut check themselves. Like, is this the right advocacy role for me, right? <clears throat> you get on a school board often and you think like, oh, I'm going to come in and create all this change and do all these things and, you know, fire the football coach and hire and give teachers a raise and do all these things. But there, it is such like the systemness of public education. Everything is so related, right? That it's hard to come in and fire the football coach and give teachers raises because there's ramifications to the decisions that you're making. And so the best thing you can do is really just the first two years are like drinking from a fire hose. And I don't like to tell people like, oh, like you'll just figure it out on your own. Like school governance is not intuitive. And I say that a lot. It is not intuitive and it's not meant to be intuitive right? Like we want average everyday people in the community serving on a school board. Like that's what the beautiful part of public education is, is that it's governed by the community. But I think the best and number one thing you can do, keep the students at the forefront, make sure you're staying in your lane and get training as much as you can and, and along the way to help you equip you to the right direction. Yeah. So, so, yeah. and so in those three things, one of the things that I'm hearing you say is that like check in with your fellow board members. I feel, I really feel like being a school board member is a team sport. It is a team sport. Right? Yeah. You can only get stuff done when the whole board agrees or at least a majority of the board agrees to get stuff done. Yeah. So, yeah. And what has been your experience? How is that? What does that look like? How do these boards build that like camaraderie um, among themselves? Wow, that's a really good question. It's I think there are nuances and I think a lot of people get spooked because you do have to comply with like the open meeting law, for example. So you can't always just be like emailing each other and checking in like there are boundaries to the kind of relationships that you can have. But building the camaraderie is really tackling big issues together, knowing that you're all coming at it from five to seven different perspectives, right? Everyone on the board has their own individual approach to how they're they're considering an issue before them. And I think the respect of your fellow board member and knowing that perhaps we disagree on the approach that it needs to take, but knowing that we both want it for like the right reasons, which is like we both are invested in the success of kids here. Um, so I think that's really a big part of that. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. I like that. <clears throat> and then what about, because you, the point being that, gosh, there's all these do's and don'ts, mm-hmm. right? And open meeting law is a big deal. What does open meeting law mean? Because this is something, yeah. I'm sorry, I do have a cold here and I'm, I feel like it's like getting, a, <laughs> I could feel myself You're good. being a little bit stuffy. Um, <laughs> this is something that like community members will hear. Viol- oh, they might have violated open meeting law. Well, let's talk about open meeting law. Big, scary open meeting law. Yeah. So the open meeting law, the intent of the Idaho open meeting law is to make sure that all decisions of government are made in an open public meeting. And I think it's really important to clarify that like, just because meetings are held in public does not make them public meetings. Okay, so what, do, like what does COVID, that mean? Like COVID was a really good example of like people were like, we want to be heard and we want to, you know, and of course we always want community members to be heard. Patron input is a really good example. So I'm going to give you five different directions here. Love it. So we always want patron input at school board meetings, but there's limitations to that. It is not a dialogue, right? It is not a back and forth conversation. Yes, you're giving input on an issue. You usually have to stick to the agenda items so that you're not violating the open meeting law. But what the open meeting law is, is ensuring that all conversations, decisions, etc., with very little exceptions, are taking place in an open public meeting. So public policy is formed in an open meeting. But that also means that, like, for example, board members can't be emailing each other, like, how are you going to vote on this, right? Because that would be vi- that would be making a decision in an email, in a closed, closed meeting. So it's ensuring that you are keeping those boundaries in and ha- having it open. But also there are other layers of nuance. So the patron input part is ensuring that your patrons know that you have limitations and kind of what you can and can't talk about. If it's not on the agenda, then that could be a violation of the open meeting law because the open meeting law requires that all items are listed on in a public agenda. And there's requirements at how long an agenda can be posted. And there's all these different nuances. All, uh, For example, you can't take action on anything unless it's denoted as an action item on your agenda. Like those are the little nuances of the open meeting law. So the it's a public meeting, but not it's a it's sorry, I have to say this the right way. It's a meeting held in public, but not necessarily a public meeting. I think there is a lot of confusion where uh, people go to a school board meeting or a city council meeting and they just think it's like it's for the public to be able to show up and air grievances and say their bit and do their thing. And there is time for that on agendas like patron input. But it's really the point of the open meeting law is to ensure that the governing board is having those discussions in a public setting, not that necessarily the public can participate in that public meeting. So I think that is a really good clarification to have for people. It's something that I encourage, like the number one thing I can encourage a parent, a teacher, a community member is like go to a school board meeting. You learn a ton, but you may not necessarily get to speak at a school board meeting. Um, You can speak at a school board meeting on a specific topic or if you want to, you know, get something out there. But there are limitations to that. And a lot of them are due to kind of the open meeting law. So, yeah. Yeah. It's it's extensive. It is extensive. It's extensive. There's a lot of rules. And I feel like there's a lot of people around the state who are watching out for it, who are trying to make sure that, right, that school boards are obeying all these laws. And 
I mean, I have seen that some school boards are better than others at obeying these laws. And sometimes I wonder if it's because they've got, you know, district administration and the board are just they're receiving that up to date professional development. Mm -hmm. So that helps them in their role. And you had mentioned that like as one of the three things. Yeah. Talk about that. Why do school board members need professional development? So they need it again because it's not intuitive. It's not something that you go in knowing exactly how to navigate these big things that you're tasked with when you get on a school board. It's the same thing with city council and county commissioners and stuff. But the best part about school board members is they are truly like lay elected community members. And you're right. I think the number one thing is, is are you getting the support you need from your district administration? Right. I think a lot of the boards where you see mishaps or issues with say like an open meeting law, isn't because that person is being nefarious. It's because it's a very strict, explicit set of statutes that if you're an average everyday person that hasn't been navigating government large transparency laws in your entire existence, like, sure, you might slip up here and there. So it really is about ha making sure like you're getting the support and tools you need. Um, and a lot of it is due to like who you have at your district office. Are they giving you the guidance and support? Are you seeking it out on your own? But it's not intuitive. It's it's hard to learn the open meeting law. It's hard to learn like student data and like digesting like what that means. It's hard to learn the terms. We love acronyms in education. So like some people might speak in terms that you're like, what is that? And I and you might be nervous to ask or clarify. You don't want to look silly or like it's a stupid question, right? I always encourage school board members, especially new ones, like ask all the questions because that's that's where you get the good stuff. That's where you say, you know what? Thanks for gut checking me. I was going off about an IEP or something like that. And let's take a pause and talk about what an IEP is, what that means, how, how it plays into special education law. Like, I think that can be such a beautiful part of a school board meeting is really ensuring that both the public and the school board member who might be new, they're all on the same page to make sure that it's not confusing or it's like because it is it's a big task it's a big system that you have to navigate and yeah so and that was something that I noticed when I served on the board I mean all the people who had been on the board when I joined had been there for a while mm -hmm. and so I remember being in some of those meetings and feeling pretty nervous and when I would ask questions about well, what does that mean? Or can you, can you clarify this? It would either during the meeting or after I would receive some kind of feedback from my board members of, thanks for asking that because I wasn't quite sure either. Yes. Like I needed that clarification yes. too, because to your point, there's so many things to know. Yes. And in the so many things to know, one of my favorite things being on the school board, when items would come up, the district administration would anticipate that the board members would ask questions, questions. Yes. because, quite frankly, we should be asking questions. Yes. We need to be asking clarification. And then it also helps people who are sitting in the audience, too, exactly. right? The public as well. Yes. And so the district administration would anticipate that and would often have the professional then from the district employees come in and be there to be able to answer those questions. And sometimes we didn't. They weren't needed. Right. But I always appreciated that they were there 
anticipating and wanting to make sure that we had as much information as possible so that we could make informed decisions. Absolutely. One of the trainings we just started doing, and we we just hired an excellent individual. His name is Dr. Phil Gore. He's like one of the leading experts on school board development right now. And we got him in Idaho, which awesome. is really cool. But he just did a workshop and I got, I got the pleasure of traveling around the state with him. And it was called The Power of the Question, which is like utilizing how to ask really good open-ended questions. Because to your point, we want the general with the general public to hear what this question and answer is. And we want the media who might be present to be able to expand on something if they didn't know what that meant. So totally agree the power of the question, asking questions. And it's like extra sweet chef's kiss when like your administration's like, I know that someone's going to ask this question. So I'm going to make sure our elementary principal is going to be there and be able to answer this question. That is a really excellent part of having a successful school district model for sure. Yes. That and I mean, I can still see myself sitting there and I'm sitting next to my board mate who now is the board president of the Lewiston School District. And he was so good at being cognizant of the community, right? Because that to me, that is also one of the most important roles of a school board member is to build a relationship with the community. And he was so good at saying, Hey, you know, superintendent, this is the topic, but for every, for everyone in the room, let's get us all up on the same page here. And I knew that he knew what it was already. (laughs) And I knew that he knew that the rest of us knew what it was. And it wasn't that we were wasting time. It wasn't a time waster, but that it was when we can provide more information to the public, they're going to be more informed, feel more a part of the process and want to join us in our vision moving forward with the district. Yes, absolutely. And you're totally right. One of the biggest roles of a school board member is being the conduit between the community and the school district, but also the school district back to the community. So if you're having an issue with your reading scores, your kids aren't reading by third grade, like you've got to get your community engaged in that. And there is so much data that shows like just simply talking about that and then going out in the community and the community is aware that that's a vision of the district. It'll improve student achievement scores. Like there is so much compelling data that shows if you're talking about it, if you're engaging your community on these issues, kids do better. And so what does that look like then for like a school community? Because that, I mean, this is, for me, this is what this podcast is about, is that it's so important to intentionally build school community. When I looked around the state, I wasn't hearing people talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, from where I was sitting, maybe people are talking about it in an administration level, right? But we need patrons. We need patrons. We need patrons to be intentional in this process of building a school community. Absolutely. So what does it look like for a school board member to intentionally help build their school community? I think it can look and should look different everywhere, right? If you're in a small town, it might be fostering relationships at your church or at a local rotary club or what that means. But it means that you're like my dream school board member always has like the top three good things that are going on in the district, the top three needs going on in the district. And they can like somehow formulate that and like they're 
90 second elevator pitch when they're out in the grocery store, when they're out engaging in their community, they're doing maybe public forums. So like um, if you're doing a big bond issue, which I know in Lewiston, this was huge, perhaps when you were on the school board, like if you're going to go out for a bond and you're going to ask for your community to tax themselves, you've got to be out there talking about it and talking about why it's needed and what good things could be coming from it and how it's going to benefit the community and that can be in obviously your your citizen groups, but it's also engaging your business because we know that the number one economic driver for business is the local public school. And so like ensuring that you have kind of all of the right people at the forefront that are engaged in the district, but then who are also like, you know, we really need to hire a bunch of steel workers. Like it would be so cool if the school district could build like a a CTE program around steel working or something, right? Where then a school board member could be like, that's a really good idea. Let's get you in contact with the right people at the district. And you guys can talk about that. And then maybe it will come to the school board for a question or decision. So it's it really is a symbiotic relationship, ensuring that you're hearing the needs of the community, but you're also expressing the needs of the district back to the community. So it's not there's not an assumption that communication has occurred. Right. Just because you're talking about it at an open board meeting or even if you're writing like letters to the editor or something in the local newspaper does not mean that your community is hearing you. So I think, you know, one of the biggest they say, like one of the biggest faults in communication is assuming that it has already occurred. Right. So it's ensuring that you're hitting it at all fronts, making sure that you've hit every level of community group, church group, whatever, that your district's message is loud and clear, that you're also having an avenue or an entity for your public, for a business, for whoever to bring issues to the district and just ensuring that that culture is really healthy. Yeah. So so I, I was actually just reading an article recently on public value and it was talking about how to understand public value and how to elicit public participation. And one of the eight components was communication. And as they were, you know, as I was reading it, it, it spoke about how often it's just one way communication where an entity, you know, like a, say a school board, let's just use them yeah. for example, a school board is just giving information. Talking at you. Yes. And that's, <laughs> I mean, it's important to be able to, you know, you need to relay one way information, totally. but when it comes to, when it comes to eliciting public participation and addressing that policy issue, let's say a bond or a levy. Mm-hmm. They talked about how two-way communication, right, is more of like a conversation, but how collaborative communication, where we're sitting at a table and we're solving problems together, problem solving together is actually the most effective way, they they say, in creating public participation, addressing public value, and helping this vision move forward. Yes, I love that. And I would say that like that is really hard to do. It is. I mean, we could talk about it theoretically, but it's actually quite hard to do. And so what do school board members around the state, what are you seeing? How do they elicit public participation in with the district? I think the biggest thing that we've seen, particularly since COVID, is like ensuring that you have community groups meeting to tackle issues, right? We often need like volunteers on committees, right? Like we need someone to serve on a bond committee, but also like, for example, book challenges have been a big thing. Well, oftentimes book challenge require citizen community members to help 
help guide and advise the district on if a piece of library material is suitable for a certain age group, right? So we do need public participation on those. But where districts get caught up a lot is that they're used to like the same 30 people who like show up. You know what I mean? Like the same 30 people who are like reading the newsletter very intently and responding to the survey requests or, um, you know, the people who come to the board meetings and who are sitting in the audience. And it's important for districts to utilize those people because like nothing is as good as like harboring the energy of an engaged constituent. Like that is such a beautiful thing. But it's getting those people who are maybe underrepresented into those rooms And that is a challenge. And I don't have a silver bullet for what that looks like, but I know that school leaders have really tried to take, you know, a a distinct method to try and attract people to come to their board meetings or participate on committees that maybe they would be afraid or intimidated to do so, but kind of just incentivizing like, no, 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 you're the right person for this committee or right person for this community group. So I think that really is where it is. And like one of the biggest messages I hope like your your listeners and, and the PTA is listening to is like how much school districts need parents or just engaged community members like in on their stuff. They need them to show up. They need them to participate. They need them also to be conduits of information like hey, did you hear what was going on at that school board meeting? It sounds like the district is in need of a facility repair. You know, like it has to just be this culture that we foster that it just bleeds out into the community of people are aware and they're engaged and they're excited about what's happening or they're invested in what's going on and how their kids are doing in school. So we need engaged people. We need engaged people. Yeah. And all across the board. All across the board. And I like I like the point that you bring up that, you know, usually it is the same 30 people who are participating and it's great. We need people we to participate. Yeah. We want them there. And I know that I feel like I kind of fall into that camp a little bit that I'm someone that's like, oh, I'll volunteer to do that or I want to help. Totally. I mean, I, I, I love my kids and, and I love other kids in my community. And, and also, I have really been trying to get other people to participate and be a part of the process. I love that. And so one of the things that I think, and you mentioned it, is that the people who are going in and having these experiences, it's so vital for them to go tell other people. Yes. And that's how we get more people involved. I actually, it was the, it was actually one of the coolest things. I didn't even realize it until probably seven months in. So um, I'm a teacher by trade and you don't have to be a teacher to be a substitute teacher, but I thought, well, I don't have a full-time job here and I want to do something. And yeah. so I'll go be a sub because Love I, it. I actually just think subbing is like volunteering for your community. I genuinely believe that. Totally. And, um, so I was talking with some friends and they were, you know, like, what are you doing? What are you up to? And I shared that I was subbing. I was mm-hmm. like, I, I was sub. And I was like, actually, I really personally believe that every parent should try to sub at one point, one time in their child's K-12 experience. Now, I also acknowledge the caveat that not everyone can do that. Right. Like full stop. Totally. I, there are limits to that statement. It's not an absolute statement. But I do believe that if you can... You should go sub one time, at least once, because that's a totally different experience. Parents are so used to just walking their kids to the bus stop, dropping them off at school, see it in seven and a half hours, and they come home. And so being able to experience that, I think, is so vital. So true. 
So I was talking with a friend and he mentioned something about how he substitutes. This is a guy who actually like introduced me to my husband. I've, oh. I've known him for okay. like 22 years. Okay. I love this guy. He's a physician <laughs> and okay. he has one day off a week. And he told me after like seven months of doing it, we were, I, we met up for like on a double date and he was like, oh yeah, I substitute teach. And I was like, what you do? Like he takes time away from his like physician practice. Well, he gets one day, one a day week, off, but one, he takes his one day a week to go substitute. Once at the a dish. month, he'll go sub once a month. And I was like, that is the coolest. That was, is so cool. And I asked, I was like, why? And he's like, well, because you said I should. He's like, you suggested it. Yes. And to me, that's the power of one person going yes. and doing the thing and then telling other people about the thing and getting them involved in the process. I love that. I think too, like it's like such a cool thing. If you're like a business owner, like how cool would it be if you like had a policy where like one, like maybe just once a year even, you gave like a couple of days or a day where your employees can go volunteer in their school district be a substitute teacher whatever that might be such a cool idea yeah yeah I like that someone needs yeah. to market that Quinn. well remember during COVID like substitute the substitute shortage is still real so if you're listening to this podcast like go see if you can be a substitute teacher love that but also during the pandemic we were having closures because teachers were out and nobody wanted to substitute teach and you saw people like the governor issued executive orders allowing state employees to go substitute teach one day and forfeit basically the state wouldn't have to you know they wouldn't have to take time off right and I think that was such a cool policy where you see community coming together and like fitting a need so and I 100% agree that school looks I'm young I graduated high school in 2006, so not that long ago, but long now. I feel old if I go to high school. I'm like, whoa, these kids are way younger than me for sure. But school looks so different today than when we were in school. And I think it's really, really important for people to really grasp that. The needs and the issues and the environment that kids are in today, people need to see that. Yes, they need to see it because... It's one of those things where I think if you don't see it, you just don't know. Like you don't know what you don't know. Correct. And a lot of times we'll hear, like I'll hear things like, well, that school building was good enough for me in the 50s and 60s. Why is it good not, you know, not good right. enough for kids in 2024? Yeah. And I think one of the most simple, like just visuals for that is when my oldest, who's now off in college, when he was in fifth grade, they needed like... um iPad carts they had sure. this was back in the day they like they needed <laughs> iPad carts because th that's where they like put their iPads and that's where they charge their iPads right and now kids come to school and they're like hey I forgot to charge at home or I've been using my computer all day instead I need to charge my I need to charge my computer mm -hmm. and because so much work is done on the computer but yep. there's actually not that many outlets in most of these rooms because these <laughs> these buildings were built such a long time ago yep. and so just on a purely electrical outlet standpoint <laughs> I have so been in true. classrooms where teachers have you know extension cords with like what are those called um surge like yeah, surge, protector, surge protectors yeah surge protectors all over the classroom yeah. so that those outlets can be to the students and sometimes I've had students who are just sitting up against the wall 
on the floor doing the work and they're not complaining. No one's mad about it. But just even that simple visual is a difference between when I was in school in the 80s and 90s. I mean, I, so seeing that firsthand was a great like visual for me. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Love that. Okay. So school board members have these meetings and you talked about meetings and how, you know, there's action items and Mm -hmm. and there's public comment. What is happening during a, like a, a school board meeting and what is, you know, there's different terms like, oh, this is our, oh, what did you, what, what is it called? I, or just a regular meeting versus special a, meetings or a special meeting versus a work session. Oh, work session. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. what, what's happening, what's happening during these meetings? Yeah. So a school board meeting is very formal. Uh, and we always joke, right? Like, oh yeah, I'd serve on the school board. It's one meeting a month. And that's hilarious. Cause that is, it's not true, but you know, you're, it's not full-time either. And I think that's important to say, but you know, if you go to an, an average everyday school board meeting, you're going to see like a consent agenda and a consent agenda is basically like, here's the routine items. So like, we're going to pay all the bills today. We're going to approve payroll um, that you are going to approve the minutes from the last meeting. So you might see something like that. Um, hopefully you're seeing student discussions, right? Like you're seeing like, hey, we got our IR, we got our Idaho reading indicator data. Here's where we know the kids are started in the fall and where they're at in the spring so that the school board is like, okay, great. Is this good? If not, what do we need to do? So hopefully you're seeing student outcomes, student achievement discussions. Um, you might see policy discussions. So lots of policy adoption happening um, all the time. And it can be on basic stuff like, hey, we got a drone program. So like we're going to have a policy on like how these drones are going to use here. Um, Or it might be like an update to like the public records policy. Right. So you'll see policy discussions happening there. Um, If there's a big issue, like they're going out for a bond, you're probably going to hear from like public finance experts or attorneys or community members who have been working on a bond committee. So you're going to see a lot of different stuff. And then you might see executive sessions appear up on a board meeting agenda. And I think that um, that often triggers like the public, like, oh my gosh, they're having like a serious closed door discussion. But I think it's important that the public know that there's such limited, like the default, the policy of the state of Idaho is that pretty much everything is discussed in an open public meeting. The very few exceptions, particularly for school districts, is like student disciplinary issues, right? If there's an expulsion question, by the way, only the school board can deny a child their right to their public school. So the school board would have those hearings in a closed session. Or maybe there's a personnel issue happening and the board needs to take action on that. The conversations of those intricate details are held confidential. Like employees have a right to confidentiality on their disciplinary issues. So those kinds of conversations would happen in executive session or perhaps there's pending litigation between the district and somebody. Those conversations would happen in executive session. So you usually see an executive session pop up on agendas here and there. And I think that's important for the public to know like those those might feel fishy to the average person, but it's there to protect the confidentiality of kids and employees. I think that's a really important part. 
And then, yeah, special meetings. Special meetings really are for like, oops, something has come up and we need to have a meeting. Like we cannot wait till the next regular meeting date. So let's just have a meeting and get something figured out or discussed. You know, usually those are reserved for like important issues or if like you just had a super long agenda and it was running until one in the morning and you decided, well, these things can wait and we'll revisit them in a couple of weeks. Like that's often what you see for special meetings, but they do happen during the pandemic, especially they were happening a lot because it was like, are we closing? Do we need to? What's happening? How are the kids doing? Like there was a lot of things in flux at that time. So I think special meetings have cut down a little bit, which I think is good. And then work sessions. Work sessions are there for, again, board members can't just go like to a library and meet and like work through their issues, right? Like that would be a violation. You could if you noticed it and the public was generally allowed to attend. You could do that. But generally work sessions are reserved for you're tackling an issue, maybe you're doing a policy development, maybe you're you're doing a school board development, maybe the board's getting trained on understanding student literacy data, or maybe you're doing a superintendent evaluation conversation. So work sessions are just like, they're like less formal publicly noticed board meetings that you're not usually taking action at. So there's no like vote happening, but it's where the community might be able to go and see like, oh, there's a bond work session like I'm super interested in how this bond or whatever is going to work so I'm going to go and I'm going to sit in the audience I'm going to hear and the only difference is that they tend to be a little less formal like regular school board meetings like you have a chair everything goes through the chair for converse you know right you before you speak you have to be recognized by the chair most often and at work sessions they're really designed to be more of a dialogue between the board So I think that's really important for folks to know. And all of those are publicly noticed open meetings and encourage folks to attend those and learn more about what the district is diving in on. So, yeah. I mean, great. Okay, good. Yeah, you did a good job. I'm like, I hope this is helping. Yeah, (laughs) it was great. Take it. And as a like just when I think back on my years, my least favorite were executive sessions. Yeah. I just, and I did They're tough. Yeah. They're really hard. I always appreciated our superintendent. If for some reason conversation would maybe steer, like just if, if, and it never did because the superintendent or someone there was like, we have to stick to the agenda. Yep. We cannot talk about that thing. And it was like, oh, that's right. We're going to talk about that at a different time. Right. Yep. And because I think it's normal for yep. people to kind of, you're here and then my brain goes over here and someone's like, we're not actually going to talk about that. We're going to stick right here. And so that's the point of the agenda too for an, yes. for an executive session. Yep. That's what keeps everyone on track. That's what keeps everyone on track. And to your point, it is people have to hold themselves accountable. Like there's limited things you can talk about in a closed executive session. And it's really, you have to hold each other accountable. Like that's actually not an allowable use. So we're going to end the conversation there. And it is, it's not intuitive, but people are trained to do it. And I have my Myself, I've sat through executive sessions where I'm like, oh, we're getting a little off topic here. So I'm going to go ahead and pull us back over to what's appropriate to talk about. And it just takes gumption and kind of the the will to stand up and say what's right. But it's so important that all public officials really follow that law because the default should be that government is acting in a transparent manner. So full stop. I mean, yeah, for sure. And then I like your 
your description of work sessions are less formal. I just, I always found that so true. And I loved it because there would be things that a board member would be interested in. Like I remember one time I wanted to hear more about um, sleep studies and how they pertained to uh, start times. Oh yeah. For students. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of had this, the board kind of had this running list. And I remember we had a work session about like kind of a farm to fork was really popular. (laughs) And so one of the board members said, Hey, I'd like to have a work session on that topic and what that would look like for our district, what information would be there. And so then the district administration got all that content together. And then we had this professional development session relating to that topic. Yeah. And that's, I mean, yes, board members have one regular board meeting a month, right? But then every once in a while you get your executive session. But that work session comes, I mean, I'm under the impression that's also once a month too, but I guess it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be and it often not, but you're right. It's a deeper dive on a specific topic, right? So that you're not deliberating for two hours on what do sleep studies say about what time we start school, right? Like you're not doing that at a board meeting. Like you're getting your business done in your regular board meeting and you're reserving these like deep dive conversations about possible upcoming policy changes or schedule changes or whatever that might be in a work session where the public can still attend, but they're not having to sit through it at like your regular board meeting, which are often in the evening, which are often on like a Monday or a Tuesday and it's hard for working families to have that access. So yeah. It is. And that was actually something I really appreciated about COVID was that things started to move to online. And so now people can still watch online, which I think is great because people might want to watch while they're at home and because they've been at work all day and they don't have time to come in, but they want to be aware of what's going on. goes right back to that community engagement piece, which is like, we have to make government accessible to people too. And so totally agree. I think a beautiful part, maybe one of the only beautiful parts of the pandemic was this like turn to be like, okay, we're going to make sure our board meetings are streamed or they're recorded or people can watch them live from home or whatever that might be, that that really became a norm in many school districts and charter schools. So yeah. And then also the, I would say, and I don't know that this is normal, but one of my favorite parts, if not my favorite part of a regular board meeting was the public comment section. Like I actually like that. And our board was good about, well, I felt like it was good. We didn't say you can only talk about things on the agenda because it was really important for us to hear now hear from our community members. Now we did limit them always on time. We didn't have like a timer in front of them. We we would say, please limit your comments to five minutes or less, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, depending on how many people were there. But I don't, I think we always let people go five minutes. And then the board president was always very good at saying, kind of opening it up. Like I'm going to open up this public comment section right now. And these are the rules. Yeah. These are the rules. And we Standard. we cannot engage with you. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I'll just never forget one time a woman came up and she was speaking and she's relaying something that she believes we all know mm. that. And I remember kind of like looking at her <laughs> and trying to convey to her with my eyes that we don't know what yeah. you're talking yeah. about. Right. And I, it was actually really cute because the entire board kind of relayed this to her. And then she said, it appears you guys don't know what I'm talking <laughs> about. And we were like, we don't. <laughs> like we won't engage with you, but we will nod our head no. Yeah. We are not. We are not tracking. We are not tracking what's going on here. Yeah. Not, not uncommon for sure. Um, 
And I think your point about like here are the rules is so important. Like I people often get miffed that like they can't come and like complain about their child's teacher to their school board meeting. And I'm like, well, you know, like again, employees are afforded like a right to due process and a right to confidentiality. So like instead of complaining about it here, like here's a grievance process like that we've established that you can use to like file a complaint against your child's teacher or something like that. Because otherwise, like, yeah, the board can't just it can't be like a, an airing of grievances, if that makes sense. Right. This is not the festivist school board meeting where you're coming and you're just like, I'm going to come and I'm going to talk trash about everyone I know and everything that's going on. It ha- there has to be established rules and processes there. And it's really important for the public to hear that. Um you know, people often, again, they feel mad that they can't come in and do that. Well, there is a process for it. And hopefully the district is like, hey, instead of having that like conversation here, here's the process that you can use to do that. That's appropriate. And that it's this established chain of command, you know. So, so yeah, I think patient input is so important. Again, it goes right back to that community engagement piece, which is like, is it one-way communication or are we getting dialogue from the community too? And it is it can it can be a contentious part of school board service. Like, I'm really glad to hear that you loved public comment during the pandemic. I think it got really, really challenging. And, you know, all decisions that any government body makes are bound to be unpopular by somebody. Right. And so it can be really a difficult part. It's really scrutinizing. So, again, it goes back to like school board members have to hold true to like they're doing what's best for all kids in the district and they're doing what's best to set the mission and vision. They're staying in the governance lane. So it is, it's a boundary issue. It can be really challenging. It can be really hard to have somebody come up and just tell you how you're doing a terrible job, you know, but it happens sometimes. It does happen. And I like that you use the phrase, like it's a boundary issue. And one thing that I know about boundaries are that they are our individual responsibilities to hold. And so it's a board member's responsibility to hold that boundary because there are so many things to know and be aware of as a citizen Mm -hmm. and as someone living in the United States and living in Idaho that we as people, part of the community, patrons, we use lots of different words to describe Mm -hmm. a person. Um, we need help we in, do. in knowing how to do these things. And we need people on school boards who are going to have conversations with us and also help us feel like we're a part of the process and and help us not feel stupid yes. when we maybe step over the line. Right. Because it's so natural, especially with... I used to joke like when I came to ISBA, like, oh, public education is such a touchy-feely, happy thing. I'm so excited. And someone was like... You know, like, it's, like, people's two most important things. It's their kids and their money, right? Like, it, it, and it is contentious at times. And so, yeah, it is, you have to hold yourself responsible. And remember that, like, you're going to make decisions that may not be popular in the long run, but it's the majority of what the board decided and you have to move on from there, you know? So, yeah, it can be really challenging for sure. So what do, what then is the relationship between one parent or patron or community member right Mm -hmm. and a school board member like what does that look like in terms of people say like well I want my school board member to do this thing for me what what does that look like well I mean people can certainly always contact and request things from their school board member but they have to remember like they're only one member of a board they can't they can't 
in, in unilaterally do stuff for patrons, right? Like there has to be a process and the board has to agree to it in, in full. And sometimes when you get like too invested, like someone's come to you, Alexis, like we want you to start the CTE program and you get really, really invested. Well, then you now might be like super biased about that you think this is the absolute best thing that needs to happen and you're doing it on behalf of this patron then, you know, you might be asked by your fellow board members, like, Alexis, like, I think you've, I think you've gone too far into this. Like, we might ask you to recuse yourself on this boat because you're so invested in it and you're clearly biased. You think it's the best thing ever and you're not thinking about it from an independent perspective of, like, do we have the budget for it? Does it, what are we going to have to cut in order to make this CTE program work, right? So, the relationship should be there. It's absolutely a conduit. The best school board member isn't, again, they're not investigating the complaint into the teacher, right? But instead, they're referring you to here's what the process is. If you have an issue, here's who you call. Here's what the policy says. Um, but, you know, in general, like, again, you want the relationship to be good. Hey, how are things going in your child's schooling experience? Or is there anything the district could be doing that's meeting your needs better or whatever, right? And again, there's limits, right? Like you can't just um, assume that your school board member can turn around and get what you've asked done, right? It's just, again, you're one person on a five, three to five to seven member board, right? You need the board to get behind you. It has to be decided in an open public meeting. But we don't want community members. What we don't want to foster is where like school board members are like, afraid to talk to their public, right? Like, and I think I think even I have been so afraid of like, oh, you shouldn't be having those conversations. Like you could be biasing yourself or whatever. But I've really softened in the last couple of years where I'm like, no, 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 there's boundaries, right? Like you can't get into personnel issues. You can't get into the thing. You know, you can't talk about confidential issues and you got to be weary of what you're investing yourself into. But in general, we want school board members to be engaging with their community and vice versa. We want them to be someone that people can come to if they're struggling to navigate an experience. Um, so again, it's just a really important piece to have. And what you're talking about, I feel like I experienced all of those things with people because there's something to be said for, hey, I'm approachable enough as a school board member that my friends, my peers in my community are going to come to me and say, hey, I've got this issue. How should I navigate this? Who do I go to actually at the district yes. office to address this issue? And I always kind of like to hear a follow-up because I wanted to know how district administration was interacting with parents. Sure. I thought that there was a lot of value in just making sure that, hey, parents are feeling like they're a part of this process and they're receiving that from the, yes. you know, the district sure. level. Uh, but also there were times where I knew like there was an experience once I had that someone was having they were an employee they were having an employee like personnel issue mm. and they started to talk to me about it because we were friends and I went actually I can't hear about this I'm so sorry that you're having this issue and this is awful if I hear any more about this I'm gonna have to recuse myself yes. when we get to this point and and maybe I might anyways, because we're already really friends, good friends. Yeah. And it, I was glad it didn't get to the point that it got to the board. But I very clearly remember thinking, this is a line I cannot cross You're as right. a board member. People forget that the school board, again, I said this earlier, but like 
only the school board can deny like a child's like experience in their public education right only the school board can expel a kid same thing like you're often you're the deciding factor on your personnel issues and the school board becomes like the judge and jury in those situations and if you know someone personally or if you have a boatload of information that the rest of the board doesn't have like you're putting yourself in a situation where you're opening yourself up to personal liability and litigation, but you're right. It's just not a fair decision-making process. And while we want government to be transparent, we also want it to be fair and balanced. So super smart move there, but you're right. You have to have lines there and boundaries to what you can and can't do when you're engaging. But in general, a majority of the time, we want our school board members to be engaging with their community. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Such a pivotal role. So we talk about processes, and one of the things that I, I mean, that we've seen around Idaho, we had some up in North Idaho recently, were recalls. Recalls. And I do believe that, I mean, a recall, come on, it's built into our system. Yep. They're, it's part of the process. Mm-hmm. And I've been a part of a recall before, just in terms of being in a school district and watching that happen. Uh, what is a recall. What's the purpose of a recall? This is kind of a long question, ready? So what is a recall? What's the purpose? And how does the action of a recall impact the entire school community? <laughs> so recalled, all elected officials can be recalled. And I think that's a really important point. It's not just school board members, but anyone uh, who's been in elected office can be subject to recall. So recall is a process by which the patrons in your community have ultimately petitioned that they don't feel like you're serving their best interest anymore. Uh, there are threshold requirements and they're nuanced, so I won't get into the details of those, but you have to have so many signatures, for example, for a recall to even move forward. The second step of a recall is that the board member or the political the the policyholder is notified that they've been subject to recall. Uh, the first step is that they have five days to either resign or they proceed with the recall election. Um, not this recent West data, but in the 2013, 14 years, I call them the Russell Jokey years, but um, there was a recall at that point and many of the board members resigned instead of faced a recall election. So that can be one level of accountability is they're like, okay, cool. Well, clearly a large portion of the constituents have felt like I'm not representing them. Do I want to face this recall election? Of course, they're tumultuous. So sometimes they often resign. Um, So I think like the purpose of a recall is like to get a gut check again from your community. Like, is this is, is this person still representing the values and interest in this office? Um, and I think in general, like recalls, sometimes they do. They just have a pressure effect, right? Where you're like, oh, like I was really steering down this path. Clearly, that's not aligning with everybody's values in my constituency. So maybe you change behavior that way, right? I will just say like recalls are exceedingly rare, like successful recalls are exceedingly rare. Like we just saw one in West Bonner. Um, I think during COVID, I saw close to 17 recalls for school board members. And I think one was successful. Some resigned because they were just like, okay, this is clearly just not working out. But I think in my time, my six, seven years at ISBA, like I haven't seen more than two, three recalls be successful. So it is pretty rare when they actually are successful. So and, you know, again, they exist because 
constituents need to be able to say whether or not their government is representing them. And, you know, for school districts, everything is so hyper local and you're zoned, except for in a few school districts, you're not zoned. But like sometimes there's like less than 100 people voting on these elections, right, especially in small towns. And so, man, it can really be a message if a recall's out for you. So, yeah. And how what is the impact then for the entire school community just in general when a recall happens? So when it's successful, I mean, it creates a vacancy on the board and then you have new people coming in. And yeah, otherwise, I think like (laughs) in general, they can be really uh, fracturing in a community. And sometimes that's a good thing. I mean, again, recalls, I think, are important. We saw like West Bonner's a really good example. Like that was a super majority turnout overwhelmingly in favor of recall, right? Where I was like, that was a clear message that that community was ready for that to happen, right? But I think in other ways, it can often just be, it it depends on the issue, I guess, too. Um, You know, COVID is a good example where like COVID restrictions were really, really difficult for school leaders to navigate uh, because we're such a local control state. Like it really was left to the local official to be like, how are we handling this pandemic? You know? And I think, like I said, like you're bound to make a decision that's going to be deeply unpopular with at least somebody in the community. So sometimes it's difficult because you might have made a choice because at that time you thought that was what was best for kids. And that's what you thought was the best direction at that time. But your community might disagree and do a recall. And it it just creates a, yeah, sometimes it creates a fraction. Sometimes, though, it it does what it needs to do, which is it puts pressure onto that person to be like, am I representing my community? What should I be doing better to engage my community? So I think they serve their positive purpose. So, yeah, I... That was great. That was a great. Okay, good. Yeah, no, you did fantastic there. (laughs) Because I think, uh, I mean, I like your point that there haven't actually been that many around Idaho, but recalls aren't just limited to school board members. They're for any public, like a politician, you know, elected official. And we need to make sure as elected officials that we are connected to community members. Like that's what we need to see. So to kind of like finish the conversation, I actually wanted to ask, um, about, gosh, you know, we've been talking a lot about school board members and, you know, maybe there are people in the community who are thinking about maybe I could do that. Right. And you, you know, mentioned earlier that understanding a school district is not intuitive and that there are a lot of components to this. And gosh, I mean, I was an educator. I was in I did so much education just even with my kids and I got on the board and there was so much I was learning about this process. <laughs> so one of the things that um, I found that I thought was interesting from another school district in another different state were some myths yeah. about being on a school board Love it. that I thought were interesting. And I thought, yeah. oh, I think these are kind of things that kind of float around. And so I just wanted to address a couple of these myths with you. One of them Love was, it. as a school board member, I can speak and write as a private citizen about school issues. Yeah. How is this? Why is this a myth? I mean, I think it's important to say, like, one, like, nobody can take your First Amendment right away, right? Like, you totally could go speak on issues, but it's a perception issue. Like, should you be having that conversation? Are you giving the right message? Are you violating a policy when you're doing it? So, like, yes, you can speak. I guess you can never speak as a private citizen. Like, once you get the school board hat on, that hat is on until you're no longer on the school board. So, 
you can still speak about school issues. In fact, you're encouraged to, right? We just talked about that community engagement. But this idea that you can remove the hat and be like, well, I'm actually just a taxpayer. Like, no. Nope. No. You're on the school board now. And <laughs> and that and that um that one for me also lays into this idea that like we're a team. So once the team votes, like once the board votes, and let's say it's a three five, you know, mm-hmm. three two, yeah. like a three two. Yeah. You as a board member don't get to go around and bad mouth if you were one of the two that didn't want it. I mean, again, you could, but is that I a mean, good thing? Uh, yeah, is it's that, a good point. Right. Fair. I mean, again, you could, but like, yeah, that's that's not what's good for kids. It's not what's good for kids. It's been decided. You don't get to like rehash an issue over and over again because you lost. Yeah. You know? And I think it's fair to say like, hey, I, yep, I was disappointed. Clear it wasn't a 5-0, right? Yeah. And I remember having one time as a as a school board member, it was an executive session. So I remember we were talking about it and it maybe looked like I was going to vote the no. Mm-hmm. And one of the school board members said, just remember, you don't actually get to tell people why you voted no for this executive session thing. Right. right? Which is different than in a public meeting. Yeah. You can address, you know, you can Your address no the no. Yeah. But but just that idea that, hey, we're a team here. And if we want to build a school community that is inclusive and collaborative, going around and acting like a private citizen when you're on this board isn't a good play. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Totally agree. Uh, School board service is my full-time job. (laughs) This is a myth, but sometimes might not feel like a myth. Yeah. I'm sure it feels like a full-time job to some people, but yeah, no, it's not a full-time job. Um, If you're staying in the governance level, you obviously have to dedicate time to it, right? Like I joke, it is not one meeting a month. Like you often need to prepare for a board meeting by reading a board packet, which may be in some cases, hundreds of pages long. Um, but yeah, no, it is not a full-time job. That's why you hire your superintendent. They're your full-time job. So, yep, it is not a full-time job. It should not be a full-time job. If you're doing it well, it should not be a full-time job. And you don't get paid. And you do not get paid. In fact, you're literally prohibited by law in receiving any kind of pecuniary interest in serving on a school board. So. But I did read, though, that some states around the United States do offer some kind of payment to mm-hmm. their school board members. Mm-hmm. And that looks really different. I mean, as I was kind of like diving it into it, it looks different in every it state. Um, but Idaho, you are 100% volunteer. 100% volunteer. Yep. yep. Um, oh, here's another myth. No more rubber stamping. I'm here to rock the boat. <laughs> Why is this a myth, Quinn? Because all decisions are made by a majority. So just what you said earlier, like, um, yeah, maybe you are there to rock the boat, but you're a one person on a three, five, seven member board and you don't get to rock the boat entirely. And that's, yeah, once, once a decision has been made, you move on. So, you know, it's funny because we used to say like, if you have an agenda, like let, leave it at the door. Right. But we've we've softened on that a lot, mostly because like everyone has an agenda. Like my agenda is like kids are doing well, right? Like kids are succeeding, kids are 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 happy, they're they're feeling good at school, right? Like that's an agenda, something that I would bring to a school board. But it's ensuring that like, yeah, you can come rock the boat, but really it's a majority of decisions that impact how the direction of the board and yeah, you need your fellow board members to rock the boat with you if that's how that's going to go. So yes, that, (laughs) that, and it's a, if you're there to try, if you can, I mean, you had mentioned this earlier, Hey, we come with an agenda, but also there are priorities that we have. Yeah. It's, it's good to have a, 
ideas, right? Come with your ideas and these different thoughts, but come there with curiosity and not a, I know what's best and I want this. And, and that, you know, more of a, Hey, I'm here to ask my questions and to get to know my team so we can work as a team. And we're not always going to agree. And as a matter of fact, it's really good for us to have different viewpoints because we need those different viewpoints to make, you know, to help us make good decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's not a one person show. Correct. You don't get to come in and say, we're going to fire the football coach this year. Like, it's just not how it works. But often people get that impression and then I think they get elected and they're like, oh, I have like a huge responsibility now. Like think about what's at stake with your local public school. Like so much, so much of your community is dependent on your school. So yeah, oftentimes people feel like they're going to rock the boat. They get there. They kind of realize like, okay, I have a lot to learn. Yes. Yes. So here's another myth. As a former teacher, I know exactly how the school system operates. (laughs) Actually, I realized that. Former (laughs) teacher. I love that. You know, yeah, um, I often find that there's actually a steeper learning curve with people who've worked in the K-12 space before coming on a school board, often former teachers. And it's because and it's okay to have that, like bringing the experience of a classroom teacher to a school board is so good, such a good thing to bring to the school board. But it's not serving like being a teacher is not the same thing as serving as a governing school board member, like where you're making tough decisions. And again, you're making decisions on behalf of the entire district and all the students that are impacted. So yeah, come always with a level of humbleness on a school board because nobody has all the answers. Um, And coming in with an attitude where like, I know better than everyone because I was a classroom teacher often is going to leave you where you'll have conflicts with your other board members. So, yeah. 100% there. And then a couple of these um a couple of these myths to me are kind of similar. One says I have all the new ideas mm-hmm. um or I'm the only one in it for kids. Why are those myths? Well, I think I think that's really tough. Again, we everyone has and brings good ideas, which is like the point of a citizen elected school board, right? It's like everyone's bringing a perspective about how the school can be doing something or meeting the need in one way, but nobody has all the ideas, right? Like, and really, again, like you got to make sure like your board chairman has that idea because they're often the one setting the agenda and you won't even talk about those ideas unless they're appearing on your agenda. So I think that's really important. You don't have all the new ideas, but it's okay to have good ideas. So I think that's an important caveat. It's actually essential. Yes. We want you to have good ideas. We want you to have good ideas because we want our school district to be innovative and meeting the needs of communities, right? And then the one, I'm only in it, I'm the only one in it for kids. I mean, again, I think the best the right school board members, the people who are doing the work, like they keep the kids at the forefront. But sometimes it's not, sometimes the decisions that you're talking about, like are not about kids. And that's just natural, I think, in any form of government. Like sometimes you're dealing with like a lawsuit on like a personnel issue that, yes, if we really like walk through the nexus, like it impacts kids 100%. But sometimes you're making decisions that, I don't know, that are that are not always. And also everyone's perspective about 
what they're doing to benefit kids is different. Like some people come in with like a purely like athletics is the number one thing. And I always like to tell people like even the state legislature says that like in Idaho code says that like extracurricular activities are not deemed an essential part of a public education. But we know that like kids do better in their academics often if they have like an extracurricular activity, right? So we as school districts and charter schools, like we figure out how to pay for those. The state doesn't pay for athletics. So the school district figures out ways to provide those to kids to have opportunities for kids. But everyone's there for their own reason. But I guarantee you that you're not the only one there for the kids. They're all there for the kids. They're all there for the kids. And also, I, I would say not just school, not just kids. And this is something that I I wanted to make sure I brought in here because I actually feel pretty strongly about it. This idea that, hey, sometimes we get so focused on outcomes, right? The things, the tests, all of those things that we're seeing that we forget about the process, the culture, the people. Yeah. And when we are looking at a school community, and I think it's so important for school board members to be cognizant of this, um, is that it's not just the kids in a school district, it's also the employees. Mm -hmm. And building a good relationship with the employees is essential because this is their work environment. <laughs> it needs to be good for them. Yes, their we profession and livelihood too are totally impacted by that. So 100%. Yeah. And the community. I mean, I said this before, but like think about how much is at stake with your local school district. Like the well-being of your community is completely dependent upon a well-functioning school system. Yeah. So no no big deal, right? Like no big deal, but you carry a huge responsibility when you become a school board member. So you do. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. So at the end of every episode, I always like to do I forgot to tell you about this earlier. Uh oh, oh okay. sorry. But I think you're gonna I think you're gonna rock <laughs> okay, it when cool. um I always do two takeaways. Okay. Kind of just like to wrap up the conversation. Okay. And when I have guests, I let them do one and I do one. And I always say, like, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I want first? you to go first. You want me to go yeah, first? Yeah. Okay. So one of my takeaways uh, from the conversation today uh, that I heard was that it's so important to include people in the process. Yes. It's not just about the school board member. It's not just about the superintendent or the teacher or the kid or the patron. It's about everybody. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the school board member is almost that important person that really needs to be bringing those people together. Yeah. Not just the one-way conversation or even the two-way, but the collaborative conversation to problem solve, to get stuff done so that we can have our solid, rocking, awesome school communities. Yes, I love that. I think my takeaway is like, how can we demystify this type of service and how we want communities to engage with our school system? And like, I don't so much like I don't have the answer to that other than like, this is clearly something that people need to tackle. Like we need to make sure that like the average everyday person is like, I know what's going on at my school district because I go to their board meetings or, hey, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring to run for the school board or I'm going to volunteer on a bond committee or whatever that might be is we need to do a better job of demystifying that for the general public because I'm just going to say it here, like we want engagement from community members. It is an absolutely essential thing for the vital and success of your public school system. So let's demystify it and 
make it easy for people. I feel like you've just hit like the mission of our kids, our schools, because I mean, we were talking about it earlier. I looked around the state like, hey, there's a podcast that's talking about legislation, right? Yeah. Um, But I didn't. And we have our awesome like Idaho Ed News that is, you know, informing people all over the state about stories. I, I have followed Idaho Ed News for years. But that, hey, we have to intentionally go out there and build our school communities yes. is so important. And, so true. And demystify because I think sometimes things that happen are that when I know something and then it, all of a sudden it becomes very common and normal in my life, mm-hmm. sometimes I make the mistake of thinking, well, then if I know it and it feels so normal and so intuitive, mm-hmm. then maybe other people know it too. And I'm just, I don't actually need to like bring this up or say anything. Right. But the fact is there's so many different systems and organizations in Idaho to navigate, to know, to understand the processes of. And I do think it's so important for people who understand the education landscape and who, or just, or another component of that school community that they help demystify it and help bring that information to people so they can have access. Because I truly believe that people, we need an informed public so that, because an informed public can make good decisions for our our communities. Yeah. And so dependent upon the success of our country. So Yes. Yeah. Love it. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. Yes. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. And yeah. I can near guarantee you I'll be having you back when because <laughs> school board topics are a really important part of yes. our school communities. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And that's a wrap on today's episode of Our Kids, Our Schools. Your contributions are vital in this shared journey towards a thriving school community. So let's keep this conversation going on my Instagram page at the.alexis.morgan. Share your insights, suggestions, and experiences. Follow the podcast so you never miss empowering discussions and insightful resources. And always remember, keep learning, keep questioning, and together, let's make a difference.